Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So things have been getting a little serious, a little dour, just because, I mean, we're, we're in Groundhog's Day. So last week I asked, what excuse will the hockey media and or the hockey men use this week when they don't announce anything about the so-called NHL draft in early June? which it's been seven days since our last recording and we know nothing else about a potential for when they will hold the draft. So what excuses should we have heard this past week that we didn't? That we did it. Cause like I, I saw a couple, <laughs> I saw a couple of excuses, rumors and, and things like uh, um, they decided that they needed to finish the season before they hold the draft. That's, I think, the closest I heard or saw to an official excuse. Um, the background excuse to that, which is actually interesting, is that apparently a number of teams, they were going to give, the plan was going to be to give the Detroit Red Wings um a serious shot at or guaranteed either number one or two pick in the draft. And uh, that upset a lot of other teams. And so that was ultimately why they decided to put it off. Uh, Bill Daly threw it out there, which means that it was never good. It was a test balloon. And boy, howdy, did a lot of people take their little rubber bands and paper clips and fire at that test balloon. And by people, I really mean a handful of GMs and owners around the league. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I've, I said, like, I, I don't, I have my spatial awareness is just completely shot. So I don't know whether I said it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you're never going to please everyone. You know, they're, I think they're trying too hard to please everyone. And it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's, I, I would really just like to see Batman come out and say, you guys aren't doing anything right now. Let's conduct some form of business, but that's neither here nor there. But I actually did some investigative research this week and talked to some people, and I think I found the answer. Okay. It appears that all the GMs and people like Pierre Lebrun and such, they were all too busy reading scripts for this this thing that the uh, league wants to put on. A, let's, let's just call it a made-for-Zoom play. Uh, titled, Who's Afraid of Arrested Carrie Price? Because that was the other big narrative. Everyone is worried about some goalie getting hot in any so-called playoff format that we, you know, see. You know, someone who's not been on the ice for 60, 70 days, who hasn't faced 100-mile-an-hour shots being rested. And derailing whatever chance they have in a playoff. Oh God! I, I'm I'm just gonna say he was rested to start the season, and look how well that opened. So, uh, well, it's not even specifically about Carey Price, though. He's just the example. <laughs> Basically, they're like, well, well, 
if we can't go in all even, then what's the point? And it's like, uh, that's why you're playing games is to figure it out. (laughs) So, yes, who's afraid of Arrested Carrie Price coming to a stage monitor near you? Um, I think the pushback on Detroit being having a 50-50 shot at the top overall pick is... I think in hindsight and thinking about it for a while, other than the fact that, my God, do they need someone with talent, um, is probably the right call. And at this point, just make a lottery for everyone. Uh, Since teams are starting to release details about how, you know, credits or refunds towards games not played this regular season... Uh, or going to impact individual ticket buyers and, and season ticket plan holders. Um, the regular season, as we know, it is toast. So not all 31 teams are coming back. So they can, they could do something. Well, see, and that was the other complaint, though, is that any if they decide to do a playoff tournament, so the latest right now that last I heard was a 24-team playoff tournament, you know, that leaves seven teams out. The seven teams who are out are looking around going, well, what about us? We we won't have played for nine months, you know, when the season starts up again. And so the whole thing is ridiculous because it's sounding like a bunch of, you know, again, a bunch of 10-year-olds who are like, but but what about me and my turn? Wait, you know? people in, the, in and around the NHL are only focused on their self-interest and not... I know, the right? greater good that could the make greater them greater good. The greater good. Craziness, I know. And if they would get out of their own ways, they would make more money. Hi, NHLPA. Um, <clears throat> like, I honestly think they should be conducting some sort of business now. Um, I like the idea of still holding a June draft. Because there's so much legal issues behind, you know, getting certain players visas, getting them over for a training camp, deciding where they should play next season. You have the time to work a lot of that out now instead of being locked into a decision because these players will already be in certain locales come, let's just say hypothetically, November. I get all the pissing and whining and moaning, but guess what? The the way the draft order would probably fluctuate for non-playoff teams, I, I, I think you could see outside of a lottery one or two teams jumping up a spot or two. Now, you know what they should just do is they should just say, for this season only, we're just going to draft in the order of worst to best at when the season was called. And that's it. Don't bother with a, 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 you know, draft or not draft, a lottery. Just like, just say, you guys are going to be all pissy about who gets what chance at what shot at what spot in the lottery, you know, for the lottery. Then we're just going to do worst to best like it used to be. That's it. We're just going to be done with that. And would you agree that this really only impacts three to five teams like there are three to five maybe sure things in any draft most years 
then it's just all a, a crapshoot and, you know, everyone's lists are different. So why does it really matter? I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here after having dealt with a three-nager and his little tantrum and the correlations between him and and the GMs and, and club presidents and crap. It's just, God. He runs around whining and screaming because he doesn't get what he wants. He won't do what you ask him to do. So he throws a tantrum when you try and get him to do it. And it comes down to me playing the heavy. I get to come in. I get to make the decision. I get to take the toy away if he's having a fit or whatever. And then just being done with it. Isn't that supposed to be the commissioner's job? You know he's a lawyer. He's clearly never raised any of his children at the age of three. He he probably left that up to his spouse. Because, yeah, that's exactly what he should be doing. Because for the love of all things holy, somebody has to put their foot down and say, it ain't going to please everyone. Now, I know some of this is posturing and dealing with... I, I think it's Batman not wanting to... Throw a wrench in labor negotiations with the players. But he has the hammer from all things being reported that it's his call. He doesn't need to have a board of governors vote. Right. He does it to keep his bosses happy. Don't get me wrong. It makes sense. But he's I think we're slowly going to reach a point where there's going to be so many logistical things about restarting the season when they're in the act of doing so he's going to have to be putting out fires all over the place that this should be something that's cemented and and ready to go like literally what business other than you know casting off head scouts and assistant gms are teams doing right now Uh. Uh, on, a, on a hockey operations level. Yeah, sending their mascots out to do things. That's not hockey all operations. I, <laughs> that's all I can see, right? It, I mean, you know, 20 years ago it was, so it, it probably makes the GMs feel like they're doing something, even though they didn't know. So it's... I, I, See, what I don't, I actually, I totally understand, but I'm still going to throw this out here, is in in some respects, what I don't understand is how an entire sports league can't have a contingency plan for an emergency situation such as this. Because I know my company does. We go through every year, let's come up with a different scenario that we have to plan for. And so for the NHL to just be, and again, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I'm kind of like scratching my head going, really? You guys didn't like have at least some kind of a sketchy plan for, I don't know, something? <laughs> Too many lawyers. I don't Who tip, tip, they don't, lawyers typically, isn't this their area of expertise? Think and plan for contingency after contingency after contingency, yet we're stuck. If you if you spun the wheel of contingency planning or, or or what we call at my particular company business continuity and disaster recovery. That's what we um, call it too. BCDR, big crash 
do recovery. Um, it, it, global pandemic, stupidly, probably is not even in the top 100 of most of these people. Yeah. No, we have that. We had it, actually. We had pandemic and terrorist attack and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I mean, I get it. It's it's the NHL. They're short-sighted at best. Right. Yeah, because they didn't have something that they could go, wheel of contingency, turn, 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 tell us the thing that we should or shouldn't do. Right. Nice animation. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, it's... I, and and the other thing I think is the problem is sixty some odd people are wanting their say and they're doing they're trying to do backroom dealing to make sure their their organization doesn't get screwed over and whatever's coming out and so there's a lot of hand holding and hand wringing in some cases and you know you don't also don't know what little pissy infighting is going on between some of these guys because i was gonna say there's some backstabbing going on yeah. and some backroom yeah. deals to get around certain like groups and teams and things and i think that's really what the problem is rather than everyone's like you're trying to get a consensus it's everyone's too busy trying to like outdo everyone else and i think they just need to film that and broadcast it and then you know it's like survivor right <laughs> Or one of those other stupid reality shows that really isn't real. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You get people that are just, you know, trying to win the game. By, I, I just, I was re-watching some 30 Rock episodes, and the whole MILF Island run was one of the best things ever on TV. And just, you know, they played to the, they played it to the, to the nines. You know, it's just like, okay, show the backstabbing, show all the, show all the ticky-tack crap that goes on on these contest shows. Do it. Expose them for what they are. We know that'll never happen, but goddamn, would it be fun? Yeah, it would. But the thing is, too, is that, you know, I'm sure that they don't think they're doing anything out of the ordinary. So, you know, why should they have to film that? It's like, well, this is how it always works. And it's like, uh, is it? Because <laughs> if it is, you guys are really screwed, screwing yourselves over. It's, it's like the old joke. What do you call a hundred lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? A good start. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all just... See, there, there are times when being competitive... There are times when there, you, there's no place for being competitive. And I don't think anyone in the NHL is aware of that. <laughs> you know? It's like, this is not the time to be competitive. Yeah, it's... Everyone's focused on their own best interest, yet at the same time, like, when I heard... And we're talking five, six weeks ago when formal plans started to leak out. When you hear players like Drew Doughty complain about the idea of playing regular season games without, with basically no tangible benefit to himself, and it just it just echoes hollow that these guys fail to realize and understand they provide an entertainment product, and they actually. Whether they they want to admit it or not, they're largely played paid by the proceeds bought by ticket buyers and television packages. They're entertainers. They're not yeah. athletes. They're entertainers, and they don't see themselves that way. 
Well, I, they're they're barely a- athletes. They they are robots that are programmed oh. to play a game because they they don't want to admit. Yeah, I want to do something competitive and athletic, and yeah, I don't care if we have nothing to to play for. I just want to play hockey and win games, like that old cliche that you think players are all about. They, you know, they just want to put their heads down, get to work, and they play for the love of the game. But what they keep saying, what they keep telling everybody, but don't really actually believe. Yeah, yeah. Now when. I think it was, uh, I forget who it was from Montreal was, you know, citing some of the health concerns. Okay. Yeah. That makes complete sense. It doesn't make sense in my mind to play the rest of the season at all. See, and I think you just, sorry, Pat, I think you just hit the crux of the whole, why the NHL is in so tough with this right now. Because what other sport other than basketball was going on? And what other sport had completed well over the you know, well over seventy percent of its season before it shut down? Right? And there's there's the problem. Basketball basketball starts about at what, like a month behind hockey generally? Yes. So they were, you know, right around the halfway mark, I think. But Hockey had 80, 75, we'll just say, because teams, schedules, and everything else. So now you're in this weird position. That weird, that weird, weird position is some teams had no chance in hell of making any ground or doing any damage to try and get in the playoffs. So, of course, those teams don't want to come back. There's nothing to play for. It's just exacerbating, you know, the inevitable for them. Whereas, you know, 24 teams mathematically still had a shot. So now you've got seven teams sitting there going, we want nothing to do with this. And 20 and and at least 16, at least 16 that are like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And that weird middle eight, (laughs) you know, like, uh, I'd love to, you know, sure. It makes sense. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just in this weird state, right? Baseball hadn't started, football hasn't started, NASCAR barely had a couple of races under its belt before, you know, hockey was just right at the precipice of starting its big run to the playoffs when it made all its money. But now we're in this situation where we don't think we're gonna be able to play, and then when you come back, you don't want to go straight into the playoffs. You might have to, but you kind of don't want to because you want to give players a chance to reacclimate themselves to the sport. And how do you do that without finishing the schedule? And you can't finish the schedule because you've got seven teams going. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah. You know, this and then just... you have an uneven number of games be- having been finished for. Right. You know, because like you said, nobody ended all on the same number of games. So you have some games have like 74 and others have like 68 and, you know, just craziness. Yeah. And, you know, certain teams have already finished their season series. And if we end up in these regional hubs with all 31 teams, is it really fair to bring back the Detroit Red Wings to beat the Montreal Canadiens again? Yeah. <laughs> four enough by four goals or not. I, I think it's fair, but I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know what? On second thought. 
That's fair. <laughs> so, so I'm. I, I think one of the questions I've had in my head is, all right, of the players on those seven teams that are likely out, and, and even some, you know, fringe teams that probably would be better off in the lottery than playing in some sort of 24 team tournament. How how willing are the players on those rosters to forego their last paychecks, which they still haven't decided on, as far as we know, publicly. They, yeah, they were supposed to be paid on Friday their last paychecks, but the but no one's confirmed or denied that that they might have pushed that off until June. Yeah. You know, who's willing to withheld or, or basically give up that money? I mean, I, if if I'm a player and I'm not playing, what would conceivably be the last? period of the regular season why should I be you know voting to keep my paycheck well but by contract law they're obligated to pay out that last paycheck no matter what whether they're playing or not that's the contract yeah. well the judging by the escrow rules in the NHL, none of these players have read or understand how their contracts work. True. You know, because so one one of the other big talking points this week is, you know, everyone seems to have zeroed in on the 24 teams, four hubs, potentially. That that seems to go back and forth. But now it's about CBA negotiations because once again, somebody has to be doing business at some point. You can only forecast and plan for so many different scenarios. And I think it was Craig Custance and one other athletic writer, maybe it was Thomas Drantz. Uh, they polled and asked a bunch of teams, uh, executives and some agents, if, if memory serves, basically what are things they'd want to see changed in the next CBA and they talk about term limits and putting caps on the amount each individual season can be, uh, each individual season's contract, how much of that can be bonus, when it can be paid out, et cetera, et cetera. And the argument always goes back to the players aren't going to want this. Players aren't going to want that. Not realizing that bonuses by and large have driven up escrow more or less over the past three, four, five years, it's kept it, you know, pretty high because the salary cap is this fictitious number that the league has made up and they need to recalculate just how they achieve that number. But what they don't realize is half the teams are spent like blowing that total out of the water, like Toronto between all the, you know, the, the dead money contracts that they can just put on LTIR, all the signing bonus, you know, front loaded contracts. So they could be spending a hundred million dollars and that eats at the 50, 50 split. And I just don't think the players think about that at all. Yet they still whine and complain when escrow is so high, but they allow the uh, rank and file to make the, all the decisions and their best interest in the immediate future and never understand the consequences. God, that sounds like 31 owners. <laughs> sounds like 31 GMs. Yeah. 
It's sort of like we got to stop putting certain people and having so many voices and giving them power over decisions. And maybe someone should step up and be the adult or, 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 or drop the hammer and just make the call. Problem is hockey has no adults. No, it just has boring white men. <laughs> From a generation that didn't do much in the ways of raising their children. Exactly. So. <laughs> I love hate this sport so damn much. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that exasperated side pretty much says everything that needs to be said. <laughs> I mean, I I wanted to get excited about the Mike Feuda situation, but I can't. <laughs> you know? I just I can't get excited about him not having a contract with the Kings anymore because that was the he was the crown prince for all the open GM jobs a couple of years ago. Um in he, Carolina and yeah, he was the nega Paul Fenn. Yeah, in some respects. Yeah, I mean his name got bandied about because he was, like I said, sort of the chosen one who was supposed to restore balance to whatever franchise he landed on. But now I can't even like. Uh, I'm really excited to see where he lands because I think he will be his next job will be a general manager position, but. I, who knows what he's going to land into <laughs> and, and well, actually who knows when he'll land into something because that's just you know does he go to does he go to Vancouver because Bim Jenning as the people like to call him isn't on good terms with some people in that organization but like the fans <laughs> uh, even some of the people with inside the organization um Talk about falling ass backwards into a good thing. It's, you know, and then you you hear the, I mean, the funny, the other funny thing is Arizona fired their president, and it hardly got covered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. I mean, there was there was maybe like a, a, I wouldn't even call it a half half a news cycle, it was maybe a quarter of a news cycle on it, and other than that, Bubkus. I think I saw one tweet, and that was it. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I think it, I just I think I saw Fried, um, Fried just tweet, and then I'm just like, hmm. hey, I'm actively I'm really surprised. That's all we heard from Elliot. I I hope when he and Jeff record their podcast this week, they talk about that a little more because, um, the president was a former guest of the Thirty One. Thoughts podcast, and while it does seem he was focused on the business side, he seems like a really sharp mind to join any organization. And it would be a shame to see him jump to another sport because I don't foresee him being out out of work very long. It just leads the question. What, I'm sorry, it just begs the question to me: What the hell are they doing? Oh, new uh, new I, guy I, who makes money, who knows how to make money on a business. I just want to bring in someone different. I want my yes people Does with it, me. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's kind not of a, his guy. I know, but 
which just drives me crazy because it's like, you know, in non-sports areas of business, you know, it, it you have a new manager, he's not going to get to fire everyone below him and hire who he wants. Right. That's that's. <laughs> you know what? I'm I have been through so many reorganizations at my company over my time there, and not a single one of them came in and fired anyone because he didn't hire them. Right. Because he can't. That's illegal. It's illegal in the United States to do that because well, that's discrimination of a sort. Well, yeah, or or have I mean I think I may have seen one instance on a team that I was on where someone got transferred out. That's transferred, not fired. Right. But yeah, but, here GMs can like sit there and be like, Oh, he's not my guy and that's a legitimate excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only saving grace there is um, their contracts are still honored. So, you know, I'm looking at Mike Babcock <laughs> until he signs somewhere else and gets released from that or gets released from that contract or it expires. He's still getting paid by Toronto. So <laughs> he's fat, happy and healthy. Um, what I was going to come back to was what drives me nuts about some of that whole, oh, I fired this guy who's really smart and intelligent and has been doing a fantastic job because he's not my guy, is the retort from some people is, oh, you know, um, the owner knows what he's doing. You know, he's a billionaire. <laughs> you know, you, you can't be stupid and be a billionaire. And I'm going, yes, you yes, can. Yes, you can. Uh -huh. You most definitely can. This is uh -huh. a this is does America anyone pay anything. attention to does anyone pay attention to US politics? I'm, I mean, I'm, come on. Well, we'll get into the discussion about somebody not actually being a billionaire who claims they're a billionaire later. But the people <laughs> that actually have verified billionaire status, you know, oh, you, you can't be stupid and become a billionaire. Yes, you can. It's America. You can do anything, including being a raving idiot and become rich. You make you them rich. Have you seen YouTube stars? Stars. I said stars. YouTube stars are rich because they're stupid. And people watch stupid. Yes, you can become rich and be stupid in this country. Hi. Ugh. <laughs> stupid. Rich people make stupid decisions constantly. Because they can afford to. Exactly. It is actually not expensive to be rich, unlike, you know, the poor. It's expensive to be poor. Mm -hmm. I, crashed, I crashed my McLaren into a tree. Oops, I can go buy a new McLaren. I crashed my Toyota Tercel into a tree. I'm walking to work. Exactly. Yep. And we laugh at, you know, the rich and the poor in the NHL on a team like Arizona they were pretty poor for quite a long time, and this guy seemed to make some sort of positive impact and, and keep a fan base engaged and, and grow, for lack of a better term. But hopefully, behind since it was just kind of a quiet, you know, it, it, it trickled out through Craig Morgan, and then he had to post something on Twitter Hopefully it was semi-amicable. Lawyer was just like, hey, we don't see eye to eye. Let's just part ways instead of just kicking him to the curb. And Which, that hopefully he, you know, like I said, comes back to the sport at some point. 
The reason that they can get away with this, in all honesty, is because it's a good old boys network. That's why. It's like it's socially acceptable to to like fire a guy you don't know and you didn't hire because it's socially acceptable to hire your brother-in-law, to hire the guy you used to play with, to hire your brother, you know? I mean... But enough <laughs> about politics. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's why it's like socially acceptable is because, oh, well, you know, we... He knows this guy, so it'll be better. It's like, uh, yeah. How long have you been watching the NHL? A long time. <laughs> A long, long time. Yeah. And then on the other side of the spectrum was a story in the Victory Press. Uh-oh. Which... <laughs> I will say, I have only seen the excerpts. I'm kind of refusing to read it because from all reports I've seen, only, you know, former players were quoted and no one from the league. And it just seemed like someone had an ax to grind as one side of a pissing match is doing one thing and then the other side is having to do different things and struggle during this pandemic. And it feels like uh, this episode of Doctor Who I once watched where these generations of people who were basically replicated and generated every day had been going on for seven days, but it was a war and a conflict that lasted generations. And that's mm. kind of what this feels like. Like, they don't even know why they're fighting. They're just fighting. <laughs> because once upon a time, they had a piss in a trash can. Six years ago. Um, next time you do this, could you please post <laughs> the sign that says entering minefield or warning minefield? Because I really don't want to step on anything in here because this is, yeah. yeah. That's why I think just the story itself kind of bugged me. It's like, okay, there are these issues that happened in the past. Okay. I do we do or have we done about it? It just seems like let's let's just rehash history because we're still mad. And I don't think that benefits anyone. Oh God, was it was it on the Too Many Men podcast? I was listening to was on the Too Many Men podcast, or I was listening to a podcast where we were discussing this, and they said you kind of have to, you can't lack empathy for those that are telling their story, but you also can't believe that all of that stuff is still true today, type stuff. Yes. And what the NHL failed to do really was come out and just address it and say, you know, we're we are a startup league. There have been issues along the way, and we've tried to deal with them over time, you know. Just something other than perpetuating this 
snark fest. Because <sighs> that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, this isn't a woman or a female thing because men do this way more often and way worse than women ever do. You know, with the pissing matches. And that's it's starting to feel like it's getting to that stage. It feels like a, a pissing it, match. It feels it's like a like real that for a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, it has, but I, th- this story just sort of, you know, it, it turns it closer to eleven. Yeah. Which is what I'm. I'm actually very encouraged by. Anna Packer is slowly becoming like a role model for me on a daily basis who she's basically a volunteer who runs the NWHL's players association. And she seems to be, I I think she has a goal, her goal, her mindset just kind of all aligned towards positive growth. And this is what we can do today. Let, let's just keep going at it. But when issues come up, I will address them publicly. And I won't kind of shy from them. And here's a here's a woman who has basically said she's done playing. And also, she's freaking hilarious if you follow her on Twitter. Um, so when I see someone like her say, man, I really wish the people that report on this would reach out to me, either for, you know, official quotes or backgrounds on stuff, and I'd be happy to comment. And that, you know... Yes, she is married to one of the biggest players in the league. Yes, she, I mean, the benefits of the WHL, NWHL will, you know, hopefully benefit her in the immediate and long-term future. But it seems like the tide has turned where, you know, Danny Ryland and company were these, the big bad evil empire and you know, rebels had to go off and do their own thing. And it just seems like the tides have turned from a perception standpoint. And it just seems like, okay, now this is like a, a league that's trying to do the right thing. And, you know, members of the PWHPA just want to be the NHL. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, it just sounds like the, that the PW. PHA, what an awkward acronym. Um, it's not an acronym unless you can pronounce it as a word. That sure. is my pet peeve. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, I it just they... sounds like that's what they want to do. So they just want to like take down the NWHL so that they can have their NHL run women's league. And that's it. That's all they want. And nothing will satisfy them other than that. And so they're going to be really pissy. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start on a an underground, if not overt, um, you know, campaign against the NWHL and saying how awful they are and blah blah blah. PR campaign. Um, like a, you mean like this? Like this? Yeah. Like yes. About about having to- yes. More of this, actually. Yeah. That kind of, st- honestly, that kind of stuff has been going on from day one between these two. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I think it's just going to get exacerbated the longer this drags out. 
And is it any surprise that the new Toronto franchise was announced and they bring in a person like Digit Murphy, who's been on both sides of the aisle and who has recently, you know, admitted to the issues that she had during the early days of the NWHL and how she's seen some, some things being reconciled or worked at like things behind the scenes that don't have to be publicized and woo, we need a banner raise because we did this one decent thing to make some progress that I, I feel like everyone wants. There seems to be some good forward momentum between the people, you know, that work for Danny Ryland and then, you know, franchise ownerships that are being created and, and attracted that after, you know, a really shitty second season where basically contracts were halved, things seem to be continuing in the right direction. And then on this other side, we have all these women that probably put more time, sweat, effort into, you know, playing and trying to grow the game as best they can from a, let's be honest, players are very marginalized in how a league is run and operated. They are at the mercy of people with money. And when you have all these national team players that are used to a certain standard and they have to go play in the slums of beer league rinks that, you know, I frequent or used to. um, Yeah, it sucks, but you know, you, you do have to start somewhere. And also you can't worry about that if it was four or five years ago. And, you know, a couple of days after this victory press story comes out, the, the um, dream gap tour players, as I'm going to call them, because I don't want to say the uh, initials of that women's association anymore. Um, just because it's, I'm going to mess it up too many times. Unfortunately, <laughs> they need to work on that. Jenna Hepburn, could you? The foot puff. Yeah, uh, work on that. Uh, then they announced their their training hubs for their new season or whatever they want to call what they're doing, which sounds very much like a league with five teams and five cities. Mm-hmm. It's. I wonder I wonder, I wonder how much if at all the NHL is backing them. Oh, I I think the well is dried up there. I don't think they are touching them. I don't know about that cuz last I heard they weren't getting paid for these games, but they were getting all of their expenses covered. Really? That's yes. <laughs> And all right, and and thinking that yes, they ended up playing in some NHL buildings like Anaheim. Uh, I I can't remember all the other ones from their showcases. You know, their last season, quote unquote. Um, I'm sure there is some support, but how quickly is that well dried up now? given the the state of the NHL and them losing anywhere between 1 billion and God knows how much revenue over the course of the next 12 to 24 months. I don't know. Cause they might actually be able to like, 
there might be less outcry if they have produced like women playing than if they had NHLers playing. And also if they decide to promote like the women playing, the the non-NWHL players, um, they don't have to worry about NHL facilities because there's no CBA. They could try to recoup a tiny bit of money out of that if they think that it's a viable resource. When they couldn't with the with NHLers. Yeah. Dear independent AHL team owners. God, those start, poor people. Start start talking with the women's leagues when it's viable. There's a match made there. There is. Because when I saw their, the PW's announcement that, okay, they have hubs in Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec in three major cities, Toronto, Calgary, and Montreal, okay, it makes sense. Where is Canada's population basis and where can they draw players from? And then in the U.S., it's New Hampshire and Minnesota, which, you know, Minnesota is nothing to slouch at. There's, it's an NHL market. New Hampshire borders an NHL market. But New Hampshire is an AHL, you know. ECHL. ECHL, ACH. The, the demographics of that market are primed for smaller leagues, smaller buildings, buildings that, you know, have better right, facilities they, than a rec They wouldn't be able to take advantage of um, Boston area. I'm sure they're trying to keep out of the like the Boston Pride way, that team's I, way. I don't. No? I don't think so. so what do you think? I, I think? I think they're studying their, their um, Sun Tzu. Because mm. if they were worried about staying out of other teams' way, they'd not be in Minnesota. True. Or Toronto now. Or Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Good point. So I, this reminds me of when IndyCar and Kart split, open wheel racing in the United States split. And became two completely different things because there was a there was a again a pissing match about rules and such, and they spent like a little over a decade fighting each other. You know, one did completely oval track racing, the other one did completely or did a mix because of all of these little things. And eventually, they just had to come to terms with there was not the support model for that particular sport for two independent leagues to be running around competing with each other. And that's the more the FWIPA <laughs> professional <laughs> professional women's hockey player association. Yeah, it works. The more the FWIPA um, starts playing these exhibition games and selling out, you know, God love them. It was fantastic to see. I think it was, it wasn't the duck pond that they sold out. Uh, or thirteen. Uh, it was close. I mean, it was like thirteen or fourteen thousand. Which is still, given I mean, the that's time a hell of a run, is 
Well, that's a hell of a draw. That's better than an AHL team could do, even for a championship. That's better than some NHL teams do. And I'm not sitting here knocking Florida or or Arizona or Ottawa or anything, you know, whatever. It's not saying that. It's 13,000 people showed up. And as Brian Burke has famously always said, if you want to support it, support with your feet. Mm-hmm. Go to the games. Do all of this. That that, uh, that was that sort of um, pebble in the pond where the ripples are kind of still being felt a little bit. And granted, they contracted some of their um, camps where they do player assessment and those sort of things because the turnout at certain camps last year was not what they were hoping for, but that's just smart business, right? Yeah. And you consolidate your resources and put them where they're going to do the most good. And I, you know, I, the more they start doing this sort of traveling roadshow Harlem Globetrotter-esque type thing, the more it feels like a league and the more you're going to start finding it's going to become more competitive with the NWHL. You know, are they going to award a trophy maybe to the winner of these tournaments? And then it just becomes easy for the NHL to go, okay, we'll buy in. Yeah. You know, you're putting butts in seats and you're, you know, you've got a, a quality product and, and you've got the infrastructure sort of already built there because we don't want to, I don't, I can't imagine the NHL wants to start from the ground up. You know, I think they want to buy into something that has a model not too dissimilar from theirs or can be adapted to fit a model, their model. And it kind of feels like that's what the football is doing. And I, I'll go on the record and say, I love the traveling oh, it's awesome. roadshow. I, th- I think it's it's unique enough. It's it gets things out to different markets. And that's why I'm clamoring for go after AHL markets. One, it their players, their end goal is to, you know, have a, I would assume a franchise model where you have bases in X number of cities. Let's stop shooting for these major metropolitan areas where cost of living is, you know, exorbitantly high because that's where NHL teams are. Let's go where there's, you know, a already a built-in following for hockey where the cost of admission for an average fan is in line with, you know, their income. And also it makes it more affordable for the players to live, you know, six to nine months out of the year. Because one of the weird things about, you know, Puefa or however. Puefa. 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 I will will get it by August. I promise. Mm -hmm. Um, What happens when all the national team players are siloed in a year or so prepping for the 2022 games that may or may not be postponed? Who knows? You know, what happens then with all this infrastructure that they're they're setting up? How is a traveling roadshow going to work then? So is this a kind of uh, they're putting all their eggs into this next run, this next iteration? 
I don't know. You know, this is this becomes one of these weird. Are they going to get this resolved by the time the next Winter Games come around? No. No. Which means there's going to be some real tightrope type scenarios coming around of how do we navigate from the left side to the right side and without a net and the left and the right side, you know, how do we get to the middle of this tightrope without a, without a net? And it's, you know, there are players from both sides that are going to want to be involved in it. And the traveling roadshow whole thing, I don't know. I mean, even in the NWHL league, because if they expand, they're going to expand their season. And now they have to start sort of tap dancing around the schedule for the Olympics. I don't know. I, that whole thing just... Uh, that whole thing just is... I hate seeing it. Yeah. But I know at the end of the day, and I hate that phrase at the end of the day, I know when all is said and done, there will be a better women's league out there. And what I mean by better is one that satisfies what the, the, the needs that the whippa, the whippa is trying to do. <laughs> and one that doesn't destroy what Danny Rowland's done. Yeah. I hope. So you stay away from this league, Gary Bettman. I swear you will ruin us. <laughs> yeah. You know, basically, one thing I'm hoping for is in this next, in the WIPA, this next tour, hopefully it could strum up some interest outside of the hubs. Because I think that's one thing that's not clear yet is, okay, they have these training hubs where players are centrally based, but where are they going to be able to travel to to put on showcase weekends? Can one of these showcase weekends strum up you know, enough interest from local business leaders to form you know, basically future franchise owners in whatever league manifests itself three years from now, let's say. I hate this stuff. God. Yeah, well, they want to be like the NHL, and look what they're doing. I know. Infighting, pissing and moaning. Like, I've always been curious, like, as I've been thinking about this, is was this what it was like with the uh, with the WHA, you know, sprinkled with way too much toxic masculinity, but was this the same story back then? It kind of feels like it, but, you know, I watched the documentary about the guy who started the WHA, and he had also started the ABA. So... I think how do I put this? I think I think what's going on with the FWPA and the NWHL is really a fundamental difference, whereas the WHA was just a rebel. I wanna go do this. 
not because I tried to buy into the NHL or anything, you know, I just want to go do this because I want to run this roughshod league and, you know, kind of break the rules. Whereas I think the, I, I think the two sides here are really doing what they believe is right for women's hockey. And not a single one of us can sit there and say that one is right and one is wrong. Because you weren't, none of us are going to know. You know, none of us are going to know for years. I was just going to say famous last words right there. They're right. just doing what they think is right. Mm. <laughs> now, granted, over time, you should evolve your per, your belief once you have evidence and data and so forth that shows you, you know, things need to change. But we've kind of seen that a little bit from both mm. sides. Right. I mean. The, the NWHL was struggling to get any sort of media coverage, so what did they do? They sort of looked at the landscape and said, we're going to Twitch. We're going to broadcast our games on Twitch. Mm-hmm. And that turned, that you know, and that opened up a little revenue stream for them. So, you know, adapt and overcome. Are you guys ready for my question? Yeah. (laughs) So this ties back into what we were talking about earlier. So let's say the NHL is successful and they start off their tournament and realize that they can't do it because cities and states shut them down or whatever. Or they don't get it off the ground. And worst case scenario is there is no NHL hockey until the fall of 2022. Because there's not supposed to be a vaccine until for like another year. So my question to you is this. And I'm going to pick a random age because it's just going to make life easier. So what players... Which players over the age of 33 would be able to come back after a year layoff? Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody.